0: Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit painsvilleag.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. On November 9, 1989, the border of East and West Germany... Uh, West Berlin, excuse me, not East and West German, East and West Berlin was open suddenly. Hordes of East Germans rushed the western part of the city, creating uh, a jubilant crisis. <laughs> At one border crossing, so many people crowded onto the old bridge that it actually collapsed. Another was hastily built to accommodate the crowds. When the Berlin Wall finally came down, the entire world cheered and and suddenly, there was just this freedom that had come out of a communist nation of East Germany. And you know what? Many of us during that time naively thought that this newfound freedom, kind of uh, an event that, uh, that had been accomplished the minute the wall was torn down and the old guard had been run out, and we had this idea that perhaps that would be the answer. Little did we know that it would be a process, a process that would ensure that Germany and russia and other European countries that they that those who were suddenly free needed time to adjust to those new freedoms. in fact, one commentator said this demolishing the physical wall was simple demolishing the wall and the minds of the people that would take much longer and I think when we take a look at the Israelites as they had been set free out of being slaves in Egypt for so long, 400 years, and God had done a mighty thing by bringing them out. I think the the same thing might be said about them, that as they found this newfound freedom, that there were some things that needed to be adjusted inside of them that went way beyond the physical enslavement that they had experienced when they were in Egypt. There was something mentally that they had to overcome. And just because Moses had raised his staff and the waters parted and they were set free and they saw their enemies perish in the Red Sea did not mean that mentally there weren't some things that they had to learn or some things that they had to to embrace as they began to engage in their newfound freedoms. In fact, after leaving Egypt, as we discovered last week, the people encountered various challenges along the way. The journey from Egypt to Canaan was not just an easy hike without any problems, or as we might say, it was not a simple walk in the park. (laughs) And as we're discovering through this study, Hello, My Name Is, as we take a look at the names of God, we know that those names usually arise. We get to know who God is by name, not in the easy times of life, but oftentimes in in the very difficult times circumstances of life. You know what I'm saying? When things are, are challenged. And I think in, in those times, that's when God reveals who he is. Not only his name, but his nature and his character and his faithfulness to us. The bad news is, friends, life has problems, doesn't it? But the good news is, is that God has a name for each and every one of them. God has a name for each and every one of them. Regardless of the crisis that we face, the names of God remind us that God is faithful and remind us about who he is And each and every crisis. In the book of Exodus chapter 17, we come across the next name of God that we're going to look at today. And, And we find that at a time when the people of Israel are once again greatly discouraged. We know that They're feeling this because of all the complaining that they're doing. How many know you can tell when somebody's faith is struggling a little bit? By the complaining that takes place, by the grumbling and complaining that that oftentimes takes place. Complaining from time to time is normal, but when it becomes a, a regular go to, oftentimes it's an indicator of a weakening in our faith. In Exodus, we see God's people that they complained when they were encamped at a place called Rephidim. Exodus 17 is where we're going to be today for the majority of our study. So I encourage you to open up your copy of God's Word. It's going to be on the screen. It's in the notes as well. The app notes there as well. Exodus 17, starting in verse 1. And it says this, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. They quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And if you were with us last week, you know that we encountered similar circumstances. The people had come three days out of out of the uh, uh where where God had defeated the enemies at the Red Sea, three days wandering in the wilderness, and they were not able to find any kind of water, and then they look up ahead, and it looks like there's a water source. And when they approach, they're excited until they take a drink, and the waters were bitter, and they named that place Mara, because the waters were bitter. But at that point, they, they encountered Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And God healed the bitter waters at that moment and then led them to 12 springs in a place called Elam. But now, once again, they find themselves without water in the wilderness, wandering in a place where it seems dry, and they are desperate for water. And even though God had provided, there is this sense inside of them as to whether God will be faithful and do it again. In fact, their truth is their complaint had much more to do than just with water. And we know this because if we skip through that section and we get down to verse 7, Exodus seventeen seven, we read this. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Have you ever been at that place before? Where you begin to wonder and ask the same question, God, are you in it or not? God, are you here or not? God, are you with us or not? God, will you provide for us or not? Anybody ever been there before? The question in the people's minds was, was, will God do it again? We keep running into this same problem. We're without water, we're in a desert, it's dry. Is God going to provide Yet again, and through Moses and the Lord speaking to him and striking a rock, God provided water out of the rock for his people, and he met their need, and he gave them water. But yet, as often happens, and it happens with us as well, if we're, if we're honest, just as the Israelites had come out of one difficult trial, they're about to enter into another one. You ever found that before? You get through one only to encounter another. Another. And in the next verse, Exodus 17, 8, this is what we read. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. Now, they have a war on their hands. Now, keep in mind, Rephidim is a rugged desert place near Mount Horeb. And water sources are very low. And so God's people are worn out. And as we've seen, their their hearts are unstable. They're doubting the very goodness of God towards them. And on top of it all, all the things they're facing, they have to now deal with a battle. Amalek is showing up and he wants to fight. And additionally, it's important to remember that these Israelites have not been free for very long, these were a nation of slaves. They were a nation where their primary occupation was that of either shepherds or brickmakers for the Egyptians. You're not talking about a people who have been trained for battle. You're not talking about a people who have been trained for war. You're not talking about a people that have chariots or that have spears or that have weapons that are trained for warfare. You're talking about a people... That has just recently come out of 400 years simply as slaves in the land of Egypt. Shepherds and brickmakers. How are they possibly going to fight this battle? And here they are facing a battle that they did not instigate. And a battle that they do not desire to fight. Perhaps you can identify with them. Perhaps you struggle. Maybe you're weary or struggling. Maybe you're struggling to trust the Lord. God, where are you in this and facing a conflict or a battle that you did not intend to fight? Perhaps you don't even feel as if you have the skills or the tools that you need for the battle that you're facing. Maybe you're a little anxious or overwhelmed. What do you do? Well, I, I think in this story, we're going to discover another amazing characteristic of of who God is, and more about his nature and who He is, and we're going to take a look at some principles that help us when we're facing these kinds of battles that we didn't intend to face or fight. Let's begin. And I want to just look at a couple of elements here. First, let's identify the enemy. Let's identify the enemy. Exodus 17:8 says, "The Amalekites that came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. The Amalekites, who are they? They're a tribe of Bedouins, they, they're traveling, roving, predatory uh, in nature, and at the time they occupied what is the southern region of the land of Canaan. The Amalekites were a, a descendants from uh, someone whose name was Amalek, and, uh, and, and Amalek was the grandson of Esau. How many remember Esau? Anybody remember Esau? Yeah, Jacob, Jacob, or his name later tra- changed to Israel. So these are these are distant relatives of the uh, of, of the Israelites. They are descendants of, of Jacob's brother Esau. And as you might remember, Esau is what we typically know as a man of the flesh. Uh, you might remember that in a moment of hunger and weakness coming in from not finding anything, he's very, very hungry. And Jacob is there, and he has this wonderful bowl of stew. And Esau is willing to sell his own birthright for a taste of some stew, a taste of of of, of some stew. He wants to, in, in in that way, he cares more about feeding his flesh than he does about his spiritual birthright. There's a whole other sermon in that, right? He cared more about gratifying the flesh and could care less about spiritual things. And how do I know that that's the case? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17 tell us, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. And even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. What I want you to see in, in Scripture, what I want you to see in the Old Testament is, is that Amalek or the Amalekites become a type or a symbol of the flesh throughout the Bible. And this is the first time that they attack Israel, but it's certainly not going to be the last that we're going to see Amalek. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, we see the Amalekites rising up to attack Israel. Amalek, this type of the flesh, and when I say that, what I mean is the evil, the old, the, that, that uh, Adam-type, Adamic-type uh, uh, sinful nature that is inside every one of us. In fact, this is what Galatians 5.17, what Paul wrote about this. He says this, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the to the flesh. That's the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Two natures. There's two natures that we have as, as believers in Jesus Christ. There's the old nature, the, the flesh nature that comes from Adam, and then there's the nature that, that is the new nature that comes from Christ. It's what we mean when we say, you must be born again. When you're born again, you're born of the Spirit, and these two are contrary to one another. And before you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you lived according to the flesh. If you, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, you live according to the flesh. Whatever, whatever the flesh desires, that's what you desire to feed because that is what's going to bring joy or what you believe is going to bring peace or happiness to your life. But the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are born again you are born of the spirit and all of a sudden there is a new nature that lives within you it is the nature of Jesus Christ but let me tell you just because you have that new nature how many you know the old nature doesn't go away so easily And just like the Israelites coming out of Egypt, although they had been set free and been given this new freedom, the old nature keeps creeping up over and over and over again. And there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit, between the flesh and the spirit. And Amalek, the Amalekites, represent as descendants of Esau, the flesh battling against what God is doing in the Israelites in the spirit, these two natures battling against one another other going back to the Israelites we see a physical picture of a spiritual reality they're under the dominion of Pharaoh and enslaved by Egypt they didn't they didn't know any other life but now they're free and suddenly they're facing a battle with the descendants of their distant relative Esau the Amalekites who want to prevent them from being able to obtain and take hold of the promises of God And what we need to understand is, is that there is a very real spiritual realm, a very real spiritual battle that is taking place. There is a a flesh battle. The enemy of our soul wants to do everything possible to prevent us from, from receiving the peace and obtaining the promises that God has for our lives. As soon as you give your life to Christ, it's wonderful. There's a transforming work that begins and God begins to do something in your life. But sooner or later, you're going to find not too far down the road, you're going to start to experience some conflict in your life. There's going to be a battle that goes on, fleshly impulses that don't leave. And when we're renewed by the Spirit, those old desires sometimes want to creep up and battle against the things that God is doing and wants to do in our lives the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They're contrary to one another, so you don't do the things you want to do. That's what Paul told the Galatians. And the Amalekites represent those things, the flesh and the forces of evil that are in opposition to the Lord and those who are followers of Jesus. David Wilkerson, who uh, is, is noted for uh, his his work in New York City and Times Square Church and also uh, the, the beginnings uh, with the, the, the cross and the switchblade and those things of, of even teen challenge in a book that he wrote uh, uh, called Knowing God by Name. He commented on this passage, and this is what he said. Amalek is a biblical representation of the devil's hostility towards Christ and his body on earth. The margin note in an old Puritan Bible, he states is following that says this, that the reason for declaring war on Amalek is because his hand was against the throne of God. This war continues today because Satan has never ceased in his efforts to thwart God's eternal purposes. The enemy doesn't want the purposes of God To move forward, and Amalek represents those things that are in opposition to God's purpose and what God wants to do. Secondly, let's talk about the strategy of the enemy. While not present here in Exodus chapter 17, Moses when writing in Deuteronomy and recounting some of the, the, the journeys along the way and some of the things that God was doing along the way. And Deuteronomy gives us a little bit more detail about the strategies that the enemy had taken. Deuteronomy chapter 25, starting in verse 17. Remember that the Amalekites, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. Isn't that just like the enemy? He doesn't attack you head on. He doesn't attack you in your area of strength. He picks you off when you're weary and when you're worn out and along the way, when you're straggling behind, when you're struggling and you're not, you're not keeping up with, with the rest of the group, when you're falling behind and when you're weak and when you're weary, that is when the enemy comes against you. That's when the flesh begins to rise up, right? When you're weak, when you're weary, when you're, that is when you're most susceptible, when you are disconnected From fellow believers, you're susceptible to temptation and discouragement and the schemes of an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 calls this the devil's ways or his schemes. Methodius is the Greek word. Craftiness or trickery. You know that Satan can even disguise himself as an angel of light. That's what 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says. It's important to understand the strategy of the enemy. So how do we overcome these attacks of the enemy? How do we begin to overcome? What are the lessons we can learn from this story? And what do we learn about God's nature and about his character and about who he is? Well, let's look at some principles to experiencing spiritual victory or breakthrough in your life spiritual victory or breakthrough in your life first partner with God in prayer and surrender partner with God in prayer and surrender let's read Exodus chapter 9 through 11 reveals the strategy and position that Moses took Moses said to Joshua choose some of our men go out to fight the Amalekites tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands And so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So Moses said, listen, I'm going to go up to the top of the hill. I'm going to take my staff up there. I'm going to go up to the top of the hill. And when he was talking about his staff, he's talking about his shepherd's crook. He's talking about his shepherd's staff. Now, now that was significant because that staff had been sanctified by God, had been set apart by God. Think about the ways in which that staff had become a symbol of God's power and been a symbol of God's presence previous leading up to this. That same staff is the one that when Moses stood before Pharaoh and threw it down, it became a snake. That same staff was one that had ushered in the plagues against Egypt and against Egypt's gods. That same, that same staff is the one that when Moses held it up, the waters of the Red Sea had parted. And when he put it down, the waters of the Red Sea came back. And that same staff just in this Exodus chapter 17 just before this was used to strike a rock in which it provided water for God's people. You see, through it, God had used the natural to perform the supernatural. God had brought victory to the Israelites. And, and here he was, Moses saying, I'm going to take the staff that represents God. I'm going to take this staff as a banner, as, a, as almost a war cry uh, a flag. I'm going to take it up there. And I'm going to go up on the mountain. And I'm going to hold it up. And I'm going I'm to cry out and intercede to God on behalf of you, Joshua. you go down in the valley and you fight and I'm going up on the mountain and I'm going to hold up the staff of God. The battle wasn't decided by those who were fighting. Again, the winners and losers were not determined by their own skills or by their own power. Remember, this was a, a group of slaves who were not trained for war or in battle and did not have any kind of weapons, they were brickmakers and they were shepherds themselves. It wasn't by their power. The key to winning the victory was Moses' posture, with the staff of God in his hand, and if he could keep it raised, they would be victorious. How the armies faced and fared in the valley in the valley, excuse me, was not tied to their education. It was not tied to their finances. It was not tied to their notoriety. Instead, it was tied to what Moses was doing when he was up on the mountain, lifting up his arms to Almighty God. I think that oftentimes people respond to two extremes whenever they're facing some type of a battle, marriage, family, child, health, work, whatever it is. Some people fight on the mountain only. They say, you know what, I'm just gonna talk to God, I'm just gonna trust God, and I'm not I'm not gonna do anything else, I'm just gonna trust God, He'll just fix everything. And then other people go to another extreme. They seek to win the battle in the valley by forgetting all about the mountain. They look to their own skills, they look to their own willpower, they look to their own determination or resources to try to overcome whatever they're facing all the while, neglecting to look to God. But the truth is this, only when we bring the valley and the mountain together will we experience victory. Only when we bring the mountain and valley together, we're not going to be victorious over the flesh, over the enemy, over his opposition to God. We're not going to be able to do that in our strength alone. We've got to learn how to take a posture where we lift up our hands and we say, oh God, I need you. Oh God, I need you. God, I need you. We must learn to keep our hands and surrender and trust the Lord with his strength to overcome. We must learn to to trust him and and then be obedient. Joshua still had to fight in the the valley. He still had to be obedient to fight in in the valley. On one hand, we've got to do everything that God commands. On the other hand, we can't shift our responsibilities to God. At the same time, we can't, shift God's responsibilities to us God's got to do what he does we've got to do what we do that's the kind of tension we must live in between if we don't make contact with heaven for our battles on earth we will be wasting our energy we'll be wasting our energy secondly we need to learn how to partner with others for strength spiritual battles are tiring aren't they It's easy to get weary and worn down. Exodus chapter 17, 12 and 13. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Spiritual battles are tiring. We're not going to be able to fight those things alone. Scripture says that Moses' hands were heavy as he held the staff up high on the hill. When I was in, in, in high school, I remember in ninth grade, I, I, I joined marching band. And I was a part of the drum line. But, but uh, when I came in as a freshman and I tried out for the, the various things, I ended up being the cymbal player. And I remember that when I was playing the cymbals, one of the things at band camp and this is that time when many people are in band camp right now. When I was in band camp, I remember that in order for us to to be able to have the strength uh, to be able to, to march and to be able to do it as cymbal players, they used to make me do something that I thought was absolutely torture. I had to take the cymbals in my hand And I had to hold them out and hold my position so that I would strengthen my arms so that throughout the time of marching and throughout the time, I would have the strength to hold the symbols. Can I tell you something? Man, it didn't take very long before. It's like my my arms are going down. It didn't take very long. And here's Moses holding a staff up in his hand up on the hill that every time his hands would come down, Joshua would begin to lose the battle. The battle in the valley was lost when his arms came down, but when his arms stayed up, he remained victorious. But he couldn't keep his arms up by himself. He couldn't do it by himself. He began to, to lose strength. And so, thank God for the Aaron and hers, for those who are Aaron and her who come alongside and they said, you know what, first of all, you need to steady yourself on the rock. What does the rock represent? Are you steadied on the rock? Those who, when the those who build their house on the rock, are like the wise man. Right, he, he built his house on the rock. That when the rains came and the floods rose and beat against that house, it it stood. It stood. And here is Moses now on the rock, and here they are underneath him, lifting up his arms, encouraging him, and lifting up his arms to keep him connected with Almighty God. Sometimes in life, when the battle is fierce, we need others who will come alongside of us and who will lift up our arms. Who will come alongside of us and help us when we get weary in the battle. When we want our arms to come down and we get tired of continuing to pray for the same things over and over again. And we get tired over and over. We need others who will say, don't give up. Come on, let's keep pressing into God. Come on, let's keep worshiping the Lord. Come on, let's keep praying. Let's keep believing. We need others who will step up to help us reconnect with heaven. Pastor and author Tony Evans said it best. He said, when we lose contact with the spiritual, we easily become defeated in the physical. Yet, when we maintain contact with the spiritual, we prevail in the valleys of life. Man, that's good right there. Some of us are throwing in the towel when we've never raised the staff. We're quitting the battle when we've never raised the bar. Joshua fought in the valley and Moses on the hill. And as a result, Joshua overcame Amalek and his people. Verse 13 says, with the edge of the sword, they prevailed over their enemies. And just as they prevailed, so you too can win the battle when you allow others to come alongside of you and lift your arms when you are weary. Third, never, never settle for a halfway victory. I want to go back to Exodus 17, 14. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll, something to be remembered, and make sure Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. And that sounds pretty extreme. In our day and age, we would say that's not very politically correct. Why would God want to do that? Remember the symbolism here. And that is that Amalek represented the flesh. Amalek represented that which is opposing to the promises of God. You see, after that victory, that's what God had, had instructed Moses to do and to write it as a memorial. He wanted to make a record of what had happened. He wanted to, to make it clear that, that, that there was not going to be, they, they should not be satisfied with a halfway victory over the Amalekites, over, over Amalek. Why? Because just like any doctor would not let a little bit of cancer remain in your body. He says, No, 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 I can't let just a little bit, because a little bit in there is going to grow, and eventually it's it's going to get you it's going to kill you it's just it's not good enough and that's an important principle because many of us are content with halfway victories we don't mind hanging around with a little bit of evil we don't mind giving it visitation rights even from time to time but the problem with evil is this is that as soon as you give it a little bit it gains squatters rights in your life a little bit soon becomes something that develops and becomes a, 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 from a foothold to something that becomes a stronghold in your life. And the Amalekites kept rising up. We hear about it over and over. The next time we, we hear about them, 400 years later when Saul was king over Israel, the Amalekites once again came against Israel. And God gave Saul some specific instructions through the prophet Samuel Verse 15, chapter 15, 1 Samuel 15:3. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Again, you're like, ah, but understand the, what represents here. Because Amalek represented evil that was in opposition to the very people of God and the very purpose of God. And Saul was to completely destroy them. But instead of obeying God... He does not completely destroy them or their king. So what happens? The Amalekites, then we see them showing up and they attack David and, and, and all of his men, actually not his men, but his camp when he's out with his men and, and they, they attack his camp and they take away wives and children and property in 1 Samuel chapter 30 at Ziklag. The men of David then speak of stoning him. He strengthens himself in the Lord and God then gave him favor to defeat the Amalekites. And yet they persist again. And in Hezekiah's reign, God's promise to wipe out Amalek was finally fulfilled. The Bible says that the sons of Simeon waged war against the uh, Amalekites and destroyed the nation. But friends, that's not the last time we see the Amalekites, the spirit of the Amalekites, the spirit of Amalek and the enemy to oppose the people of God and God's purposes lived on. You might remember the story of Esther. Anybody remember the story of Esther? For such a time as this. And there was there was her uncle Mordecai. Mordecai would not bow down to somebody who was who was up pretty high in the rankings, a guy by the name of Haman. Anybody remember Haman? And because he would not bow down, what did Haman do? Haman came to, to the Persian king at that time. And he said, there's a people group here that, that they worship other, they worship a, a God. They don't worship your gods. We need to get rid of them. And he took the signet ring and he said, he had a plot to destroy all of the Israelites, to destroy all of God's people. Can I tell you something about Haman? Do you know something about Haman? Do you know Do you know who Haman was or what his descendants were? Haman was an Amalekite, a distant descendant of an Amalekite king by the name of Agag. All of the Amalekite kings took the name Agag. It was kind of a title that represented, kind of like Pharaoh. Scripture calls Haman the Jews' enemy. And using subtle devices, this evil man seduced this pagan king into signing a death warrant for the Jewish people. Once again, we see that same spirit out to destroy the people of God. Remember, the Amalekites represent the flesh and the evil, that which is in opposition to God and his promises and what he needs to do. How many know that, the, that there's a very real spiritual battle that we face? A spiritual battle. A spiritual battle against the flesh and against the flesh a spiritual battle, you cannot let sin linger in your life. You cannot let just a little bit of sin linger in your life. When it hangs around, it will continually rise up. And if you don't deal with it, eventually it will destroy you. Through the power of the cross, we can truly put to death the deeds of the flesh. We can learn to take every thought captive and we can learn to make it obedient to Christ. Worship team, will you come after the battle? The Lord reveals another name. He reveals another name at the end of this battle about his nature and his character. Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 15, Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. And he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. There's a compound name that we're given. It is Jehovah Nisi, banner, Nisi, the Lord, my victory, the Lord, my banner. I don't fight under my own strength, but I fight under the banner of the Lord. He is my Nisi. He is my niece. He is my victory. Now in Numbers chapter 21, I'm going to bring Jesus into it for a moment because there's an interesting story that, that forecasts our banner who is Jesus Christ and what he does for us spiritually in our lives. The people had rebelled against God and so God sent poisonous snakes into their camp to bite them and to poison them and many of the Israelites had died and it didn't matter what kind of help or what kind of things they were facing because of this poison, they were dying. And so Moses begins to, to intercede on behalf of the people who had rebelled against God in their flesh, who had rebelled against him. And now this plague was coming against God's own people, the Israelites. And God said to him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to see that this is a, a spiritual issue so I want you to take a, the snake and I want you to put it up on the stick and I want you to lift it high and tell all the people that if they will look at that, that snake, if they will look at that, that staff that is up there with that snake and look at it, they will be healed if they will look at it. And everyone who looked to their own solution couldn't find a cure and they died. But those who looked at the banner that was lifted up, that God had said, when they looked upon that banner, they experienced healing in their lives. Friends, that Nisi, that banner is Jesus Christ. This is what John three fourteen and 15 says. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Our victory is Jesus Christ. Our victory is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our Nisi. You cannot win the battle over the flesh unless you lift up your hands in prayer and you begin to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you look upon the cross and you look upon Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus Christ, the Lord, is my banner. He is my Jehovah Nisi. And under him, surrender to him. I will win this battle. I will win this battle. He is the standard. He is the one in which we win the battle. Before you give up, can I encourage you to look up. Fix your eyes on Jesus, your niece. Your victory has already been won. Your victory has already been won. When I was younger, and I don't, maybe some of you still do, I When I was younger, I used to. But then it was like WWF wrestling, pro wrestling. anybody remember? They have WWE or whatever they have nowadays. Some of you might be into that. I was when I was younger. I remember body slamming my brothers. It was, you know, fun. That's what we used to do. Like pick him up, suplex. You know, you know, Hulk Hogan. Oh, right. You know, Um, the Iron Sheik. You know, I don't know. These are all. I'm reflecting my age right now why do i why do I share that at the end? because like like pro wrestlers, you know, oftentimes that was a stage thing. they knew who was going to win before they even entered into the ring. Can I tell you something we already know who's already won? We don't fight from a position. yeah, we we fight from a position of victory because Jehovah Nisi's already won. because the Lord, our banners already won because Jesus Christ has already won. We already know the outcome. We fight from that position. You don't fight from a position of defeat. You fight from a position of victory. So keep your arms up. Keep your arms up in praise. Keep your arms up in surrender. Keep your arms up in worship. Allow others, when you are struggling, when you are worn out, allow others to come and lift up your arms and don't fall short. Don't go halfway against your battle against sin. Don't go halfway. Continue, continue, continue to fight against your flesh and you will see the victory that Jesus promises to you. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, we thank you that you are Jehovah Nisi you're the Lord our banner you're the Lord our victory that we fight from a position of victory not defeat and Jesus I just thank you that today you encourage us that when we get weary that Lord we are to just continue to trust in you so today we lift up our arms and surrender and in prayer and we ask you Jesus to fight on our behalf we ask you Jesus we ask you, Jesus, to come and do what we are unable to do in our own flesh. Jesus, we thank you today because you are the Lord, our victory. And so we look up and we look unto you. Friends, if you're here this morning and first maybe you're here and you've not, you've not looked to Jesus to be the cure for your sin. You've not looked to Jesus for his salvation. You've not looked to Jesus for his forgiveness you've been letting the flesh win. And today you say, you know what? I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you, will you slip up your hand this morning? I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to surrender my life to him. Thank you, Lord. Or secondly, you're here this morning and you say, you know, we've been battling. I'm in this battle. I'm in this spiritual battle. I'm tired. I'm worn down. I'm weak. If that's you. And you just need some some encouragement and uplift today. Will you slip up your hand today? We want to encourage you. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus, right now I just pray for everybody, Lord, who's been struggling, everyone, Lord, who might be a worn down. The enemy is good at trying to attack us when we're worn down and when we're weak. And so, Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus for you to come alongside and strengthen my brothers and sisters today in you. Lord, we just lift up, we lift up our surrender, we lift up. Lord, our hands unto you, and we ask you, Lord, to strengthen us in the battle. We ask you, Lord, to do what we cannot do. We ask you, Father, to go before us. We ask you, Lord, to fight on our behalf. God, we just thank you that you are the Lord, our banner, our Jehovah Nisi, our victory. We bless you, and we give you all the honor and praise. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.